0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Let's pray together. Father, your word tells us that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so I pray that you would give us hope this morning through Psalm 22. Meet us where we are, in our own distress, in our own anguish, in our own trials and trouble. Meet us, oh God, and work in us a deep and abiding faith and a living hope. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Well, uh, we come to Psalm 22, and uh, let's go ahead and read the entire psalm together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you as I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Now, there are places in the Old Testament where it's hard to find Jesus, It takes work to figure out if this is about Jesus, how is it about Jesus? Psalm 22 is not one of them. If we're at all familiar with the gospels, we can't help but see numerous connections between this psalm and the life and especially the death of Jesus. Psalm 22 is very clearly a messianic psalm, a psalm about the trials and triumph of God's Messiah. But more than a messianic psalm, Psalm 22 is also a very human psalm, a very human prayer. And my primary aim this morning is to connect the human and the messianic. Because if we only see the human, we don't see enough. And if we only see the messianic, we don't see enough. We need to see these together. And so we're going to walk through this psalm, and I'm going to try to show you the valleys and the mountains, show you the movement and the struggle that David uh, displays. And as I do, I want you to listen for what resonates. I want you to, to listen for what speaks to you, where you are in your life. Find yourself here. And then after we've seen the movement of the psalm as a whole, I want us to connect it to the life of Jesus in hopes that by bringing the human and the messianic together, we can all be encouraged. We can have hope. So let's begin with the human prayer. If you were listening there as we read through it, you could hear that the psalm really breaks down into two major sections, verses 1 to 22 and verses 23 to 31. And the tone and feel of each section is is very, very different. The first half is a lament. It's, It's filled with loud cries. It's filled with desperate requests. It's filled with anguish and despair. And the second half is filled with triumphant praise and declarations of God's goodness and within these sections there's significant movement okay so let's begin here in psalm 22:1 the psalm opens with a cry my god my god why have you forsaken me it's perhaps some of the most well-known words in the bible and you can hear david's distress the the doubling of my god not just my god but my god my god why have you forsaken me this obvious sense of abandonment and the confusion as to the reason and in this series, we've seen similar questions from a similar place of divine absence. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? But here the question is, why? And this question is so pointed because he's my God. If, it's like David saying, if, if you're my God, then you should be near but you're not near. You're far from saving me. You're, you're far from the words of my groaning. And I have been groaning. Day and night I've been groaning. I've been crying out to you. I've been calling upon you. I've been the persistent widow. I've been pestering the judge for help and nothing. No answer. No salvation. No rest. Now, here's why this is a very human prayer. Notice how David begins to argue with himself in prayer. He begins, he says, I'm forsaken. My God's abandoned me. I've called to him. He's not answered. And then he begins to go back and forth to remind himself of the past and to feel the struggle of the present. So I want you to keep an eye on the yet's and the but's of this passage. He says, I-, I feel forsaken, yet I remember God's holy. He's enthroned on the praises of Israel. And I remember your faithfulness to my fathers. Note what he says in verses four and five. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. They trusted, they trusted, they trusted, and they were not disappointed. They were not forsaken. And so David, after feeling his own despair, reminds himself of God's faithfulness to other people in the past. But then he remembers his own circumstances. But he says, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. Everyone despises and mocks me. They they wag their heads. Listen to what they say. He trusts in the Lord like fathers. Let's see if God delivers him. Let's see if God rescues him because God delights in him. God's absence in this moment makes that mockery land hard. It makes David feel like "I'm, I'm not like the fathers. They trusted and they were delivered. And I'm trusting, but I'm not delivered. That's not my story. But then he answers himself. This time again, he goes back. He says, yet, and this time not based on other people's stories, but on his own story, his own experience. He addresses God again. You took me from the womb. You made me trust you. There's that word again. At my mother's breast. At my most helpless, at my most dependent, you were with me, you cared for me, and from the womb, you have been My God, there's that word again. And so I want you to note this wrestling in prayer. And that's important. It's not not a wrestling apart from prayer. It's a wrestling in prayer. He's taking all of this turmoil that he feels and he's taking it to the God that he thinks is not listening to him, to the God that he believes has abandoned and forsaken him. And this is so important for us. Because in our darkness, In our struggles, do we wrestle in prayer or apart from prayer? Do we simply worry and fret? Do we struggle and doubt? Do we wrestle in our despair? Or do we take all of that and do we bring it to the God who feels very far from us, who is hiding his face from us? The late theologian, John Webster once wrote, we never talk about God behind his back. We never talk about God behind his back. David knows this. So he doesn't pretend to talk about God and his struggles and his challenges and his hardships behind God's back. Instead, he brings those hardships and those trials and those struggles to God and he seeks the face of God in prayer even in the midst of God's felt absence. So, notice that movement. I feel forsaken by you, God, but I know you're holy, and my Father's trusted you, and you delivered them, but you haven't done that for me. I'm just a worm. I'm mocked by other people for trusting in you, but I've trusted in you since I was a little baby, and you've cared for me for as long as I've been alive. And then he caps this initial section with a request, and I'm gonna call this the minor cry, because in a moment, he's gonna return to it and amplify it. He says, at the end of this section, we get a request, not a description, but a request. Be not far from me. For trouble is near and there's none to help. So do you hear the connection between that prayer, that request and his opening question? Why are you so far from saving me? Don't be far from me because trouble is near to me. You're my God. If trouble is near, you should be near. But trouble is near and you're far and I've got nowhere else to go. Now, In the next section, he turns to describe this trouble in more detail. Verses 12 to 18 describe what he's facing. And I'm just gonna summarize it under three heads. Number one, he's surrounded by enemies and opponents. Bulls of Bashan, like roaring lions. These are likely uh, elite opponents. The realm of Bashan is a site associated with idolatry in the Old Testament. It's in the northern part of Israel. It's sometimes called the place of the serpent. And as a center of false worship, It's typically associated with wealth in the Bible. We see that in the book of Amos, for example. So these are probably prominent and prosperous opponents. And he's surrounded by them, by these bulls of Bashan. But not just prominent, he's also surrounded, he says, by dogs. And these likely refer to something like lower class enemies, by by the rabble, by the mob, maybe the ones being led by the bulls of Bashan. So he's surrounded by enemies. And these enemies, second, are threatening harm to him. They're, they're ravenous, they're ready to pounce, they're ready to devour. These enemies are gloating, mocking, and they're helping themselves to his stuff. And then third, the effect of this internally, and this is a big part of the, the struggle for David, it's not just the external enemies, but it's God's absence which leads him to feel like he's coming apart. He's, he's poured out, his strength is gone, it's just dried up like a potsherd, like a, like a piece of clay in the sun, his, his courage, David's pretty courageous. David is known for his courage. Think about Goliath. David's courage is gone. It's just gone. It's failed him. His heart is like wax. It's not strong heart. It's a wax heart that's just melted away. He's thirsty. He's desperate. He's hungry. His bones are poking out of his skin. He's practically dead. He's in the dust of death. And he's surrounded by enemies who hate him. That's the trouble that's near And so this minor cry at the end of describing the trouble becomes amplified as a major cry. Listen to it in verses 19 to 21. Yahweh, don't be far off. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver me. Save me. And then he highlights again all of those enemies. Save me from the power of the dog and the mouth of the lion and the horns of the oxen. It's the amplified version of what he cried out in verse 11. But this major cry has something profound that happens Right in the middle of it. Did you, did you listen to it? He says, Deliver me, my soul, from the power of the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion. Now, those are imperatives, those are requests. He's saying to God, Do it. But at the end of that verse, notice the change. He says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. It turns into a statement, a declaration. This is the turn in the psalm, this is the hinge. And perhaps that's just how it happened, right? David's praying in the midst of his cries for help. God just breaks in. You get David's up, deliver me, save me. You rescued me. It just happened just like that. But the important thing is, is that from here on, everything's different. Now David wants to tell everyone about what God has done for him. He says, I'll tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Notice he's no longer surrounded by enemies, by bulls and lions and dogs. He's surrounded by brothers. And he has a word for them about his God, my God. Do you fear the Lord? Then praise him. Are you the seed of Jacob? Then glorify him. Are you you the offspring of Israel? Stand in awe of him. Why? Because... God has not despised the affliction of the afflicted, verse 24. He hasn't hidden his face permanently, but when the afflicted, that's David, has cried to him, God heard me and he answered me. And then he turns to God again and noting, he says, God, he hears God's commendation of him before his brothers instead of the mockery of the crowds in the divine absence. That's the shift. And then he exults in what God's going to do and the future grace that's coming. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. The nations will remember and turn back to the Lord. All the families of the earth will worship him because he's Lord of all. High and low, rich and poor, all of them will eat and worship God. Future generations will serve him. They will tell stories to their children's children, children about how God did it. He did it. In his righteousness, he did it. That's the human prayer. It's the very human prayer. It's also a messianic prayer. Psalm 22 is highlighted in two key places in the New Testament. The first is in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus is on his way to the cross. In Matthew 27, after his arrest, Jesus is brought before Pilate and questioned by the elite, by the Roman governor and the Jewish leaders. And then Pilate then delivers him over to the soldiers who beat him and mock him, and then he's on his way to be crucified. So let me read to you Matthew 27, 32 to 46, and I want you to listen for Psalm 22. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, Psalm 22, 18, among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. There's Messiah. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, Psalm 22, verse seven. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, these are the bulls of Bashan, mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts God. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. That's almost a verbatim quotation from Psalm 22:8. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. There's the dogs encircling him. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This means that we ought to see layers in Jesus's quotation of Psalm 22, verse one. On the one hand, it is the cry of dereliction, the cry of abandonment. Jesus is the son of David, the king of Israel, the messianic ruler, the perfect human being. And here in this moment, God doesn't deliver him. He turns him over to the dogs, to the lions, to the bulls of Bashan, which doesn't simply include the thieves and the soldiers and the priests and the scribes, but also probably in this, at this moment includes the dark rulers, the powers, the, the archons, the demons who surround and are mocking and jeering as the Son of God goes to the cross. So God here has abandoned his Messiah, He's the the God-man. He's hidden his face from him as the powers of darkness unleash their worst. But Jesus' quotation of Psalm 22 is more than a cry of abandonment. It's a cry of faith. Jesus sees the wagging heads. He sees the divided garments. He sees the pierced hands and the feet. He hears the mockery and the scorn, and he connects the dots. And he connects the dots because he planned the dots. Jesus knows what psalm he's in. And he knows how this song ends. He knows where this story is going. And so his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me expresses both where he is in the story right then and his faith in where this story is going in about three days. There will be deliverance. There will be worship. All of the nations will return to the Lord. Generations will remember what God is doing in this moment. They will say the Lord in his righteousness has done it. Now, final thing. Let's connect that very human prayer and this very messianic prayer by looking at the other place in the New Testament where Psalm 22 is prominent. It's in Hebrews chapter two. And in this chapter, the biblical author is arguing that Jesus fulfills Psalm eight. He says that Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels, uh, but he's now been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And then here's what he picks up in Hebrews 2, 10 to 18. Again, listen for Psalm 22. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that's God, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's Psalm 22, verse 22. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Now listen to the explanation. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood. We're human. We're very, very human. Since we're human, He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but who does he help? The offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. That's the language of Psalm 22:22. He had to make, be made like his brothers in every respect so that, why? He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Four, listen to this explanation. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here's what Psalm 22 is saying to us in our humanity. I know you felt forsaken by God. I know that God's absence has wrecked you. You've cried day and night, and you've received no answer and no rest. God has been far from you. And you know the stories, you know the stories of triumph, of God's faithfulness in the past to those who trusted him. You even maybe have some stories of your own, personal stories of God upholding you in your dependence and your need. But those stories feel very thin right now because you're surrounded maybe by enemies who are delighting in your anguish. Maybe you're being mocked because you trust in God. Death is at your doorstep. You feel very afraid. Your strength has dried up. Your eyes are cried out. Your courage and resolve have melted like wax. And you're at the end of your rope and you're begging God, don't be far off. Come quickly. Deliver me. Save me. Now, to that very human experience, Jesus says two things I know and I will. Or more precisely, because of Hebrews 2, I will because I know. Jesus says to us, I'm going to come to deliver you. I will deliver you from the fear of death and from your lifelong slavery. I will destroy the devil who surrounds you and prowls like a roaring lion to devour you. I am the founder of your salvation. And I will be your help. I am your merciful and faithful high priest, and I will bring you from the pit of despair to the heights of glory. He says, I will help you, and I can help you because I know. I know what it is to suffer. I became the founder of your salvation through suffering. I became your merciful and faithful high priest through suffering. I became like you in every respect. I walked the same path that you're walking right now. I am able to help you in your anguish because I have walked my own anguish. I know what it is to suffer to be forsaken by God turned over to your enemies, abandoned by your friends, surrounded by the wicked. I know what it is to be pierced, stretched, bones out of joint, tongue sticking to the roof of the mouth, clothes divided by enemies. I know, and because I know, I will. I will help you. I will deliver you. So, City's Church, Jesus has a word for us this morning, for this congregation that cannot congregate. He stands in our midst, even as we're spread out. And it's a word, especially for those of you, for those of me, maybe, who are in the first half of Psalm 22, who feel God's absence, who long for his presence, who wonder why he's forsaken us, and why he's far from us, why he's hidden his face from us, and whose strength is dried up, and whose courage is melted, and who are on the verge of quitting. This is what Jesus, the son of God, says to you. Do you fear the Lord? Praise him. Are you a son of Jacob, a daughter of Israel, offspring of Abraham? Then stand in awe of him and glorify the Lord. Your God, your God does not despise your affliction. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Rich and poor, living and dead, will eat and worship. God will not hide his face forever. He will answer you. He will deliver you. Keep trusting him. Like your fathers before you, like you've done in the past. Remember that this isn't just about you. Your story is a part of a larger story. This story encompasses all nations, all families, all peoples of the earth. All of them will remember and turn to the Lord. And from generation to generation, we will declare that the Lord has done it. Or to be more specific, in light of the Messianic, we will declare it is finished. That's the message of Psalm 22. From divine absence to divine action. From desperate cry to triumphant praise. From the Lord has forsaken to the Lord has done it.